Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. No truer words were spoken. Good afternoon, Harry Alexander with you on Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, along with Bunker de France here, yep. and Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles with us. And on the, and our guest in San Diego is Mark C. Jackson, author, singer, songwriter, and all-around good guy. I got a question right hey. off the bat. Okay. I saw all that singer, songwriter, author, poet, actor. Now, I know you did one of uh, Red Shuttlesworth's uh, uh, epics, but what other acting have you done? Nothing. That's what I. Ah, you go. You go Hollywood already. That's good. You can tell this is going to be a great uh, hour. You know what? I, I think I put on there sometime actor. Sometime, yeah. One of them, one of my bios, I put sometime actor. So I, I figured I had to. You know, I had anytime you work with Red and especially Kirk Ellis. If you guys mm-hmm. know Kirk, yes. You know, no matter if you're on stage in front of an audience and you. And you say the right words, and, and with in my case, I played a guy named Pablo from the 1917 in Cherry, Arizona, if you know anything about Red's work. No. And I figured that gave me license to put that on my bio. So. No, well, yeah, you're, you know, you're ready for an intima. Well, Mark, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Mark is, is an author as well. Uh, one of his books is The Great Texas Dance, and it's uh, Tales of Zebediah Creed. Uh Western, uh, that's True West. Second book. That's the second book. I'm sorry. Second book. Yeah. Tr- uh, yeah. Uh, True West magazine says uh, the great, uh, the great Texas dance is one of the best Western novels ever written. That's a pretty high accolade, there, buddy. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I know who wrote that, and I, I don't know if I should tell you who. I didn't pay her. I swear oh. to God, I didn't pay her. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, and Stuart, Stuart Rose book had to bought into it. Uh, yeah. Because- <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. I think, I, we, I think we all know who, who he is. Yeah, oh, Stuart's a good friend of the show. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Right, so, he says hello to you. I spoke you know, with him I've got to tell you, though. Oh, good. I talk, I was talking with Candy uh, Moulton yesterday, and uh-huh. during the conversation, I you know, I wanted to know what we were up to, and I told her we had, were having you on, and I said, well, I, well I've got you here. Uh, what? What uh, dirt do you have on, on Mark? You know, and Candy is a lady. She would not snitch on you. We both we no, both confess no. to having dirt under the rug, but but she would not snitch on you. Well, good. I know Candy. Uh, well, we don't know each other well. I've I've only been coming around the Western Riders. I yeah. My first conference was in Sacramento in 2014. So. Oh, and I came through with Chet Cunningham. Do you guys know who Chet is? I, you know, I brought a couple of articles yeah. from the uh, roundup about him. One while yeah. he was still with us, and then the one uh, after he passed on. Fascinating man. Yeah, twenty four. Yeah, he. Twenty fourteen. That's the year the uh, uh, this show, Emil Franzi, won uh, a lariat from the Western Riders. Oh, great! Yeah. Well, I was there when you guys got it. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're proud of uh, that. That's. You know, I I I met Chet through a uh, a friend of mine where I worked. I, I worked thirty almost thirty one years in a, in a factory, and just recently retired to write full time. And and uh, 
And I met his grandson, and he happened to ask me what I was doing. It's about 2012, 2011. And I said, well, I'm writing these little stories. And he said, well, my grandpa is a, is a writer, and I'm a full-time writer. And the first thing I thought it was, no, nobody writes. You know, who, who in San Diego is a, makes his <laughs> living writing books? And, and uh, so I sent him, sent him a little 600-word short story that I wrote. It was the first thing I ever wrote. I was, you know, 54 years old, I think, however old I was. And uh, so I sent it to Chet. And he liked it, and he got back. Oh, it took me six months to get up the, the nerve to send it to him. You know this, and uh, but he liked the. He, it was called the hanging, and it, it, he liked it. And then I sent him the second story. That's where I found Zebediah Creed. Is that that little story there? Mm-hmm. And I sent him the second one. And he says, "Well, that was that was terrible." But we'll <laughs> go with the first one and come join my writers group. Wow. So I, I joined you. the oldest San Diego, oldest writers group in San Diego. He started that thing in 1960 something, wow. and he became my mentor and good friend. So wow. I read The Hanging, and that that's an impressive first story. You did a great job with. It. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I just put that on on my little blog. Uh, How I learned to write. That's my latest thing. You know, I just my. Just, My publicist is pushing me to do that. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, that would make a great little adaptation for uh, Voices of the West playlist. Could do. Well, we could do that. Could do. Uh, we could do that. You're yeah. hired. Yep. Pay, pay us whatever you need. We'll give you twice as much as we get. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Which is half, half of nothing or what? <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty, you're close. The Eye for an Eye book, um, Tales of Zebediah Creed. Uh this is in particularly interesting for me because uh, what the Western writing does not always happen before the Civil War period, right. and mm-hmm. it, most everything happens in the uh, 1870s up. Uh, and the traditional was, cowboy westerns, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so with this, we're looking at uh, the. Uh, Texas Revolution. Uh, this is great stuff. Free Revolution. Free Revolution. Revolution. Yeah. Thank you. This is great stuff. Yeah. It, an Eye for an Eye takes place in, in 1835. And and uh, after I wrote The Hanging, which takes place in 1846, I thought, well, where can I put Zeb? And I, for some reason, I put him in New Orleans in 1835, which is a fascinating time. Yeah. Mississippi River was just full of commerce. Mm-hmm. Fur trappers were, were you know, just, that was just about to... Uh, Peter out, but they were still, you know, pulling beaver furs out of the, out of the mountains, and and um, I don't know, it just it worked out uh, to to set it at that time, and and I, you know, the the second story that Chet uh, didn't like so much turned out to be uh, my first book, An Eye for an Eye, which is a revenge story, and you know, he I, he forced he kind of forced me into, well, you know, it's all set in New Orleans, and it's a lot of exposition says you need to take it up river jackson and and that's what i did I, and so uh yeah, but and Orleans, because of those guys i got a first book and you know and because of uh western writers of america i met tiffany schofield at five star publishing and you know I'd, I'd learned enough doing music to you know stick my hand out and open my mouth when needed mm-hmm. sometimes when not needed <laughs> but, uh, wheel. that's uh, right no, you know i the first Day I was at uh, Sacramento in 2014. I, I, you know, you know, guy, you guys know who Monty McCord is. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, he. I met his wife first day, and I says, "Who's who's the publisher? Who's who do I need to talk to about about getting this book published?" I hadn't even finished the first book; it was a partial manuscript. And she said, "Tiffany Schofield, she's right over there. Go introduce yourself." And, and by God, that's what I did. So, well, you know, and they, they published. I say, you know, that New Orleans is such a great unmined mine. You know, I when I was a kid, one of my favorite shows was was uh, Jim Bowie, mm-hmm. and then years later, Yancey Derringer, Derringer, you know. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a great era. And, you know, it, New Orleans was the jumping off uh, thing for Texas when people were going to Texas. Well, sure. If they didn't go over It was, they, yeah. Yeah, if they didn't go yeah over everything land. went through New Orleans and then took ships over to yeah. usually Corpus Christi or or, Gal- or Galveston. It was Galveston at the yeah. time, not mm-hmm. Corpus. It's Galveston. Galveston. And Valencia, I think that was the name. So, yeah, I wrote all that, and uh, in fact, how Zeb got to uh, to Texas was with the uh, New Orleans Grays, which is a militia that went and fought in the Texas Revolution. So, now your your character uh, Zebediah, he's he's kind of a mountain man, and you went on a rendezvous to really get that experience. What tell us about that? Well, a, a friend of mine at at work. Um, he kept bugging me for years before I even started writing. He was bugging me to go to one of a couple of rendezvous that they have here in San Diego up in the mountains. And, and I don't know why he chose me. We just we were friends, and, and he, I guess I just, you know, I have a beard, and I look like I should be up there, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and for years. And then when I started writing An Eye for an Eye, I would, I would go to Tim. His name is uh, Tim Chandler. Mountain Man Tim is his uh, email. So, and I, uh, I started. I'd tell him what I was doing. In fact, he is the one that named Zebediah. gave gave Zeb's last name to him. He was walking by where I worked one day, and he goes, "I go, hey, I need a last name for Zebediah." He said, "All right, I'll be back in a minute." He came <laughs> back. It's just Creed. His name is Creed. <laughs> Zebediah Creed. And I go, "Oh my God, that's perfect!" You know, and everything. Yeah, that's. It flows. You know, it flows very nicely. So you, 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 you probably know this, but Creed was also a slang word back in those days. For, no, I didn't. No, no it, what is you know, it? Was, what is it, it was for, uh, they used it for like mulattoes and half-breeds. Oh, okay. And, you know. Well, then that would fit perfect with him because he was, the backstory with him is he was raised, his parents were murdered. In fact, I, I tell this in uh, uh, in the first book. Uh, his parents were uh, were Quakers out of the Chicago area, and they went out to uh, you know to pacify the Indians. The Indians killed them and took the two boys, you know, Cre- uh, Zebediah and Jonathan, his brother, and uh, made them slaves. And then and then ultimately they both became warriors through the Sundance, and and that's that's Zeb's backstory, and then. Um, you know, we we pick him up with uh, them brother the the two brothers bringing furs down the Missouri and they get bushwhacked and Jonathan uh, Jonathan gets killed and Zeb's uh, saved by this this cute young gal and you know she wants him to stay but he's got to go after the guys that killed his brother Angel that's basically the, the whole story. Yeah. So, so so in your experience uh, going to that rendezvous. 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't answer your question. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> uh, so the experience of going to the rendezvous, that, that must have helped in, in setting the stage and everything else. It did. It did. Um, not not only just to wear the um, wear the clothing because Tim, I did go with Tim. Ultimately, we went up to one uh, one in Big Bear. I met him up there for a day and a night, and he put me in buckskins and and it, you know they all wore um, uh, white billowy shirts, uh, pullover shirts. And they the mount. I don't know if you knew the mountain men all wore necklaces of beads. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I didn't know that. So. If you look on my Facebook page, I for the longest time I had a photograph. I look like a, a hippie. I look like some guy from the 70s. Well, you look, but look. that's what they wore. And, and I had, you know, he had a couple of uh, really nice uh, flintlocks. He had one old Kentuckian rifle and a uh, cap and ball. What were the ones that, that they made him out of uh, out of San Francisco, or St. Louis? I can't remember. All the mountain men had them. Um, anyway, we got a chance to shoot. You know, black powder, and we had already shot some black powder in a, in a range here in San Diego. Filled the whole indoor range up with with smoke. It was about the old fifty calibers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he taught me how to, you know, uh, how to load it up with the ball and the and the cloth, and the, how to, you know, just enough priming powder on the flint and everything. It was great, and it was a pretty good shot. He would shoot, and then I'd shoot right through his hole. He. He could stand there and go, I think you just shot through my hole. I said, well, there ain't no other hole there, so it must have been. I, I didn't miss the target. I guarantee you that. Yeah, well, that sounds like a shot of proctologist. Yeah, would yeah, make. Exactly. There you go. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. our that's our story after the hanging, right? Well, you know, you know right, uh, Todd, you know, in yeah. his shooting, he used to go out with washers and shoot holes through the middle of washers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You could... You, you could tell because the washers were all burned. Well, all those all go. those washers that uh, Dale Robertson threw up uh, uh, to shoot uh, uh, Tales of Wells Fargo, those are the ones Todd shot out. Okay. Oh, cool. <laughs> there was one western. I don't remember yeah. which one it was. Yeah. There was one of the guy, he, go, he throws they throw a uh, coin up and he shoots it, you know. And he says, I'll, I'll do it again. I'll put one through the middle. He throws it up there and they shoot. And he says, "Well, how do we know you hit it?" He says, "Put a stamp on it." <laughs> he put a stamp on it. They throw it up. He shoots it again. Blows a hole through the stamp. There yep. you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say only that in Hollywood. Jimmy Stewart stole my idea for Winchester 73. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, Mark, I have a question for you, and, and it's never really been answered. Okay. Um, through all my travels through Oklahoma, and I, as I told you, I have three. Uh, large branches of family there, and um, from my mom's side, and uh, I've, I've got the the Maddens and the Greens, and the uh, uh, the Maddens, the Greens, and the uh, um, the Gilgies, and I just didn't understand. I and it's never been explained to me, and now you're only proof of it. You served in the Navy. I did, yeah. yeah. So um, you know. Uh, where 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 does this fascination, love, and passion for the Navy come uh, from? The people of Oklahoma, who are landlocked on every side. That's why. You know, I I don't know. Uh, other than I, I I have to tell you that ever since I was about four or five years old, I I wanted to see the coast. In fact, I came here to um, uh, probably probably Long Beach when I was about five years old. My grandmother's both my 
my mother and father, uh, their parents had moved out here, so I had I had come out here at a very young age with with my mom and dad. And there's just something about the expanse of the ocean is very similar to the expanse of the prairie. Okay. I don't know if there's if there is, can be a comparison to that. Sure there is. Yes, I just there is. had an intrinsic an intrinsic understanding uh, since I was five. In fact, I remember standing in, in my grandmother's living room, telling uh, everybody that was there. We had Sunday you know Sunday afternoon dinners and telling everybody there at five years old that if I were to ever be in the military, it'd be the Navy because I wanted to go sail on the ocean. Well, you know, and it, so I did. And by the time I was, I spent almost twelve years there, and all my twenties were in the were in the Navy, most of it. And by the time I was twenty five years old, I'd been completely around the world with either wow. well, ship, planes, told- trains, and automobiles, and Navy ships. So, well, not to make not to make light of your service, and thank you for your service. Uh, it, it always, you know, Oklahoma and the Navy. Uh, I, I think the best encapsulation of it for me in a funny way was George Goebel on the Johnny Carson show when he said, you know, we, I was I, we, I was in the Navy. I came right out of Oklahoma. I was in the Navy. And he said, mm-hmm. I served in Oklahoma during World War II. There was a big Navy base, yeah, yeah air base yeah. in, yeah. in Norman. Said, yeah. He said, well, I got I didn't realize there was a Navy in Oklahoma. He goes, well, did you notice that not one Jap Zero got past Tulsa? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, did you know that Oklahoma built the first sod submarine? Yeah, I did. Well, I had no idea. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. Well, well you, know, you mentioned your grandma. Well, we're going to do a break first. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Let's come back to well, a break while, already. While, this is going quick. While we go search for the sod submarine, uh, we're going to yeah. take our first break. This is Emil Francie's Voices of the West. With Harry Alexander, Bunker DeFrance, and Todd Roberts, our guest, Mark C. Jackson, author. He's in San Diego. And uh, we're going to talk more with him about all of his stuff right after these important messages. You stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships. 
They want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Just sitting here, going wavering back and forth, yeah, uh, listening to that. I was just, just, <laughs> just picturing a cowboy puckered on a horse. Welcome back to Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts. Our guest is Mark Jackson in San Diego. He is the author of The Great Texas Dance, Tales of Zebediah Creed. That is book number two, and the first one is called An Eye for an Eye. And let's talk about that second book there. I uh, want to talk about his grandma oh, for I'm a sorry, second. I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned that uh, at age five you were visiting with your granny. And I understand your granny uh, wrote poetry and that that had a profound uh, effect on your life. How did it shape you? Well, I, I would go over and stay the night with her and... Um, and it's kind of like what I what I wrote in my little bio. Um, I found out she was she was writing poetry, and you know I was five years old. What's a poem? And and she explained to me what it was, and you know you put words together and they rhyme. And I guess I was old enough to you know first or first or second grade, probably first grade. And uh, and I didn't really understand them. You know, you you're too young at that time but but what what I did know is that when she when I found out later that they were actually published in the newspaper I you know my parents the daily Oklahoman was a was a huge part of their life and and um, I, I don't I don't know I just I will I always that always stayed with me and then you know when I hit second third grade I started writing poetry of my own and and uh, I remember telling my third grade teacher, she was taken aback when I said, God, you know, I'm such a great writer, you know. <laughs> Humble, too. And, and yeah, and she looked at me and and she thought, well, who's this kid, you know. And I, I'd like to see her face now. Yeah, there yeah you know, exactly. And and so, um, but that, I just, there it was, it was. You know, the rest of the, her apartment was dark. Her duplex was dark, but that that kid, that dining room light was on, and she was writing. And she had she had this back then. You had mail order instructions. You know how to write poetry, and that's how she <laughs> yeah, learned. Yeah. Remember that? You know, yeah, the, the yeah. back of the back of magazines. Yeah. Like famous artists. Well, that's how. She, yeah. So so that's and and then she got published, and then you know later on. 
my aunt uh, and my mother, my aunt particularly, took all those poems and, you know, uh, did a self-publishing thing. And I still have those today, you know. So and, the, uh, the, po- the, poetry, so she, the poetry came before the music then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really did. I, I didn't. I started playing the guitar at about 13, like everybody else and my age. You know, first song was uh, House of the Rising Sun, and the second one was a, was a Dylan, t- you know, yeah. Don't Think Twice, It's right, All right. Right, right. Way too many chords, I thought, at the time, but it, yeah. it taught me how to, you know, do chord progressions. Then I started writing my, not anything with lyrics. I didn't write my first song until actually I was in the Navy out at sea, I wrote a song called What the Hell Am I Doing Here? <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, I think but, we uh, all, I think all of us who served uh, someplace <laughs> said that at one time or another. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, was literally the first song I ever wrote. <laughs> so, and well, then you, the second song was like Old Timers Lullaby. And I, I, and what came out was this country vibe, this country music that I, um, that I didn't know I had in me, and and it was became it was natural for me to, to write like that. And as I said, the second song was called "Old Timer's Lullaby." It's about an old cowboy on a prairie. It's called "Snakeskin Dried Out," feeling like a buffalo bone. I mean, you know, that's that's the lyrics I started out writing. And, we uh, uh, we you have on your website uh, some YouTube videos uh, of some of your music, and I wanted to do a a little clip here. Yeah. Uh, this, this, sure. th- this one is called a, a, a. I think the I have the title right. A real charm, or is that the album name? It's uh, well. It's uh, it was the album title, but the the song is called "A Real Charmed Life." Real charmed life. There, all right. Yep. Th- th- this is this is the cat's pajamas. <laughs> Never settle down. Weed and whiskey's why I wouldn't come around. Lately I've held to a righteous truce. Bought along the lease on life and tried to keep it loose. I'm standing in the middle, baby, somewhere in between. A very, very happy guy and a man of misery. And he- has Waylon Jennings written all over it, my friend. You know yeah. that, that, op- that, that opening. Song's, that song's actually called "A Man of Misery." Man of Misery, yeah. That but it's o- off that record, uh, "Real Charm Life." That opening before the before you start singing is a it's a perfect opening for a western series. Yes, it is. I mean, yeah, it says cowboy all the way. Yep, yep. Yeah, you know awesome. who did the guitar on that was a guy named Jim Soldy, and he used to play for Johnny Cash. Oh. He's a San Diego guy that. Went to Nashville when he was really young and ended up playing with, playing with Cash and, was and he? Uh, you know he played in Nashville for years and then came back here and and we got him in the studio to do to do the guitar tracks. Was he that, so. was he playing with uh, Cash when he Cash was going out to uh, the Bostonia Ballroom? I used to go out I, there. I'd, I'd hitchhike out from North Island and then hitchhike back on, about once a month. This was right after Cash had gotten busted for amphetamines in El Paso, and that was about the only gig he could get. But that was so here awesome. in San Diego, right? Yeah, El Cajon, the Bostonia Ballroom. Well, let me tell you a story about that. Soldi's parents owned Valley Music in El Cajon. Oh, 
And that that one of those nights when he played there, he ended up at Valley Music. Jim met him when he was a kid. So this was years before Jim played with him. Jim Jim was with him in the 80s, right before he started working with Rick Rubens and doing the the American Recordings thing with Rick Rubens. Mm -hmm. And and really, his uh, popularity exploded again in the 90s. So, but Jim worked with him in the 80s, but way before that, when he was here, that very same place, one night he left out of there and ended up banging on the door at Valley Music They at like 2 in the morning, <laughs> drunk, and says, I want to buy a guitar. <laughs> I think I think he somebody was there, and they opened it up, and he ended up buying a guitar at 2 in the morning at Valley Music in El Cajon, California. <laughs> so. Well, so to tie into your story, you, you may have been there that night when that happened. I'll tell you what. Now, this is, you know, I've seen a lot of performers, and I'd go out there, and I'd always, you know, because I'd leave as soon as the 5 o'clock, as soon as off-duty, and yeah. I'd hitchhike out, change clothes, hitchhike out there, and I'd get out there early enough. I'd I'd, I'd have something to eat. They they serve food, and they'd start playing. And the regular house band, and the folks would be out there dancing and having a good time. When the regular house band stopped, there was a little break, and then Cash's band would start setting up. Everybody, and I mean everybody, migrated to the dance floor. There wasn't anybody sitting down anywhere. They were shoulder to shoulder, and they were there from the beginning of that set to the end. And I mean, yeah. I mean, you could see where people, you know, you just, I was, I was, I was enamored of a cash Sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was that was that was the heyday. I'll yeah. tell you. So and this was anyway, a, that's uh, yeah, that's so cool. That's solely on the guitar. Yeah, that's uh, that was cool. I've just realized that we we have a common, shall I say, interest or somebody I know um, that you mentioned on your Facebook page as a posting from somebody else. But Gary Burden was a very close friend of my father's. Gary who, Burden, he was a guitar player, wasn't he? What did he do? Well, he designed all those albums, all the all the the album covers for uh, uh, Jackson Brown. Oh Jackson yeah. Endless people, and your other buddy posted uh, that he had passed away. And somebody else. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. He was an old, old friend of my dad's, and, and had worked with my dad in the days of Dunhill Records. Yeah. Wow! I just saw a latest interview of Jackson Brown uh, just right before we came on here. Yeah, that's see, that's my music. Jackson Brown, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Neil yeah. Young was a huge influence. Yeah. And we were talking yeah. earlier. Willie Nelson just. Sure. You, well, I heard Redheaded seen, Stranger, and that just changed my life. So. Have you seen Echo in the Canyon? I have. Yeah, it's a yeah. great film. Yeah, powerful, powerful film. So, do yeah, you yeah. do you enjoy the music more than the book writing, or which? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're retired now, so you can uh, you can have a favorite. <laughs> um, you know, I did music. I've done music a lot longer than I've yeah. than I've uh, written. I, I started in the early '90s uh, with a guy named Peter Boland, and we started performing as a duo around San Diego. Made three records in the 2000s. Um, I will say this: I, I always had some apprehension about the music because it takes so much more to do. 
and to be successful in the music business than I found it to be writing books and getting published. So the books and, are more comfortable? Yeah, well, I was always questioning my music. Mm. I don't question my books. I don't question my oh, writing. And that may sound egotistical or no, whatever. No, no, it's, no. it's just that when I when I sit down to write, once I realized and I, I and and Chet and my friends, you know, Tim and Ken, uh, uh, Jim and Peggy out of the writers group gave me permission and told me that I was a writer uh, before I I was able to say that myself and internalize that. Um, once once that happened, I, I knew that this is this this was my path. This is my path. You found your groove. Yeah. I found my groove at, in my fifties. You know, I'm uh, my well, an eye for an eye came out. I was fifty nine years old. First published book. Yeah. First book I'd ever written was published worldwide. Oh God, that is awesome. You know, you, one of your songs I really I fell in love with. It's the instrumental. Old love comes again. It just I don't know why. Yeah. It, just, it just made me feel like an old an old thirties movie some reason well that's my that's my friend grant kester on harmonica he, he was played my band for years and we we cut that track it's if old loves um uh, old loves come knocking at my door had lyrics had vocals and we cut that and uh sang it and grant in the studio one night he was he was just playing around with it and i turned to my my co-producer and i says you know what let's roll the um an instrumental track of, of the thing and let Grant just play over the top of it. And it was so, he's, he just knocks it out. I love that track off. That's it's my awesome. favorite one, yeah, I think. Awesome. So, so, Mark, uh, in your songwriting, do you write lyrics and music as well? Yes, yes. So, yeah. I forget the name of the film, but I saw this once and it was a, a an old 30s or 40s musical biopic about some music uh some great writers um, of music and lyrics, and uh, they were arguing with each other, and it's always been a question in my head uh, that I like to ask people who write both, which is, do you find it more constrictive or more difficult to write lyrics or, or music? And the reason I ask is because the argument of the lyricist was it's more difficult to write lyrics because all of the different words in the world in the, in the history of mankind are available and there's too many choices whereas the muse the, the gentleman who wrote the song the music said oh no my job is much more difficult i only have 88 choices i i don't get to go beyond the 88 choices of the 88 mm -hmm. keys on the piano do you right. find that struggle as well Gen uh, generally not what happens is is uh, if a piece of lyric will come, and I'll, or I'll get a line. And traditionally, in the past, uh, uh, some sense of melody would come in my head. And since I worked in the factory and did nothing but, you know, turn wrenches, um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of those songs were were written there, at least lyrically. And and. Lyrics have always come easier than the music. I'm not, you know, I can hold my own in rhythm guitar, and that's why I always, you know, have really great people playing behind me or around me. So I don't like not behind me, but around me, surrounding me. Um, but once I once I get that melody, I'll oftentimes in the past I would write an entire 
um, you know, three quarters of the song uh, before I even go to the guitar. And then I'd find the key and, you know, and, 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 and write it in whatever came out of, came out of that. But, uh, it's something, there's just, what, what helped me most with my writing books is the fa- fact of lyric writing. And he mentions, I've got, I've got, uh, you know, endless words to choose from. However, to write a, a good song, there's only a handful and you have to, every, every word counts. Every syllable counts. Um, it, it's it's an exact it's it's an exact um, art, and the fact of of writing and writing songs, the craft of writing songs is to then take that and make put it to some compelling music or a chord structure or whatever, you know, hopefully something different than you you know wrote six months ago. Hmm. At least that's what Vince Gill says when he about his songwriting. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got to do and, a, uh, we got to do another break here. When we come back, I want to. Uh, talk with you, Mark, about uh, another project that you've got going, uh, radio play, and uh, with another. Yeah, we pod- want a job on it. Another podcast group, and uh, so we'll talk about that when we come back. We're talking with Mark Jackson, author and uh, singer, songwriter, sometimes an actor. He says in the uh, builder stage, of stage, screen, and supermarket the, openings. There you go. And uh, <laughs> there you go. I've done those before. <laughs> and so this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. We'll be right back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is open. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online back Backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. With the fall and the coming of cooler weather, Tucson Trap and Skeet now institutes our fall hours. Office hours are Wednesday through Sunday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., and automated fields are open daily from 7 a.m. until dusk. So come out and shoot from one of our 50 trap fields, 13 skeet fields, or five international bunkers. Visit TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com for all of our upcoming events or call 883-6426. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. 
We also play games like The Alexa Quote of the Show. And may the odds be ever in your favor. And have a From the Cutting Room Floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movies Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movies Out. Until then, that's a wrap. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. Are you going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie? This is the Voices of the West. on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. Our Brilliant. guest is uh, Mark Jackson down in uh, San Diego. And we have to play that uh, uh, I Chaparral theme song because Mr. de France across from me was in 52 of those uh, episodes. Yeah, and... tootin'. <laughs> so we, we have to honor we have to honor that or hey, he I'll walks. walk if you don't. I mean, you know, he already gets paid an exorbitant amount of money well, that's to do this program. Um, well, <clears throat> so, Mark, yeah, you have yeah. a project uh, underway with uh, uh, another podcast, uh, uh, some other podcast, folks. Legends of Legends of America, I think it is. Uh, what's called Legends of the Old West? Legends of the Old West. What is? Uh, what, tell us about this project. What's it all about? Well, Legends of the Old West is, uh, it goes back to the old, uh, you talked about uh, doing something with the old radio days. It's, it's kind of a hybrid between an audio book and, and um, an adaptation of, of uh, not, not an adaptation, but uh, a, a story uh, about different, different uh, oh, outlaws. Right now they're doing Dodge City. And uh, they've done Billy the Kid. They've done Jesse James. Uh, I think they did Bat Masterson. Um, and I was fortunate enough to to write uh, the series Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, cool! And so I I worked all through the summer on that, and the first contract gig for me as far as writing, and and uh, and I I got a chance to do a preview and listen to it my son and i went up to lassen volcanic national park last weekend to do some camping and we listened to all four all four episodes and and they do music uh, and they did a they do a bit of sound design in, in one of the one of the episodes and um you know their story is is similar to the movie but it ain't the movie <laughs> and and this series tells a story you know, as 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 close as I could get to the to the true story of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and uh, I was, you know, I, I've been doing these little instrumentals, uh, me and my friend David Morgan, and we put one together, and is actually uh, the closing theme at the end of each episode is uh, a theme for Butch and Sundance, and uh, so I got. Some music on there, and and it's mostly my writing. Chris and I did a nice collaboration, and then he narrates it. Chris Wimmer is a great narrator, and um, yeah, it's I think it's gonna gonna do real well with his podcast. So, is he gonna do more of those? Do you think? Well, I, you know, I hit him ad- up. Adaptation. Um, I'd I'd like to. Um, I've got uh, a third book to finish. 
my third in the series of the trilogy uh, uh, Zebediah Creed series this one's called Blue Rivers of Heaven I'm about a third through so I've got to finish that and yeah I'd like to I'd you know we'll see how see how this does with the public uh, I know enough to know that you know it goes out there and then anything can happen yeah, but it was it was a challenge it was a different kind of writing than writing fiction because I did a tremendous amount of research I uh, with these guys and and I I'm I like research. I do a lot of research on my own books, yeah. my own writing. So, um, yeah, it comes out October 18th, and uh, Legends of the Old West is, is the podcast. And All right. Cool. So well, if we just Google little, Legends little of the there. West, we'd find it there, right? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, if we just Google, Google it, we should find it. Okay. Yeah, just Google Legends of the Old West. Uh, their, their media company is called Black Barrel Media. You can also find it through them. They do another website uh, or podcast called Infamous America that's really good too. So. It's about us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we don't. We're, 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 oh, and yeah. then and then the next one I write is going to be for you guys, right? All right. Okay. Yeah, well, see, there you go. We'll negotiate a contract right now. You know, <laughs> that, that's right. Let's do it. You know, one thing that really impressed me is in, in reading some of your bio is how important family is for you. I see, you know, a couple of songs, A Tear for Joy, uh, Julia's Waltz, My Little Sweetie Pie. Uh, you know, that, that tells Angels a lot. in the Sky for My Son, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that says a lot about a guy, you know. It tells, tells stories. It's well, so thank new. you. I, I, I wrote A Tear for Joy at sea when my, my oldest daughter was born. Thousands of uh, miles away. Huh? Thousands of miles away. I was in the Med, yeah. I was in the Mediterranean Sea when she was born. And and then I wrote um, uh, Angels in the Sky uh, for my, my son. Well, before even before that, I wrote uh, uh, for my wife, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, Julia's Walls. Yes. It's on the second record. God, don't don't let her hear yeah, me. Really. Don't, don't forget, forget that one, man. <laughs> don't forget that one. Hey, no, and I, no, no, wait, know, I sang that. In, I sang that at our wedding, yeah. and you it, know when we got married. In your defense, Mark, you're over sixty, so it's okay. Oh, he's fifty nine. Oh, no, thank you. No, yeah. he's sixty. Are you sixty, right? I'm sixty two. Sixty two. Yeah. Oh, well, so, you... See, you're over sixty, so it's okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you can ro- you can rob a liquor store. That's what I tell way. myself every day. Uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got I got another question Wait a for you. Wait, oh, cool. last. I just turned sixty last Saturday. What is my excuse? Uh, there, there is no excuse, Todd. You were premature. <laughs> you were premature. That's all. As always. <laughs> I, I, I want to share just a little bit more about that. You know, I wrote, I wrote everybody a song, but my, my youngest daughter, and, and uh, she was coming up on a senior in high school. You know. And that's a long time to go without. Oh, that that <laughs> didn't write song. a song, wow. and especially her mother. You know, you got to write a song for Sarah. And so um, I had this little thing uh, called "Dance with Me, Daddy," and I'll, or "Sing with Me, Daddy," and I'll sing along to "Mommy and the Man in the Moon." And and I had written that years ago, and and I just you know it came to me, and I was able to sing that at her high school celebration and then later when she graduated college she graduated from san francisco state i was able to sing to her sing that to her 
there too. And, and Angels in the Sky is a special song that I wrote for my son years ago, you know, when he was five years old. And when my father passed away in 2015, uh, he was a vet. He died, passed away at the VA center there in Oklahoma City. And my sister had a video of me and my band performing that song that I wrote for my son. And that was probably the last thing he heard uh, of, of, any, of any piece or, or anything before he passed away. So it was very fitting, uh, you know, to come full circle with that. You know, family so. is so important. Yeah, family is most important, definitely. <clears throat> yeah. We're talking with Mark so. Jackson. Uh, he's in San Diego, author, singer, songwriter, sometimes an actor, sometimes a builder of things, sometimes whatever. Uh, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. we got to do our last break here. So, uh, Bunker to France, Harry Alexander, and Todd Roberts, we will be back right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Miss Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We are closing out this edition of Amel Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts with you. Our guest in San Diego is Mark C. Jackson, award winning. Multi-talented Mark C. Jackson. That's the best way to put it there. I think. And family. And family, man. So, 
All right. Uh, where do we go from here? Uh, you've got a third book going, Mark. But before we do that, let's do that shameless promotion yes. plug stuff. Uh, websites, uh, Facebooks, and Twitters, and what have you. Where they can buy them. And- uh, you can you can go through my site is uh, markcjacksonwriter.com. That's my website. So you can go there and learn more about me. Um, I've got some music up there or links to uh, uh, to music and and my two books. And soon I'm starting to do some blogs. Uh, I'm writing these these blogs called How I Learned to Write. Yeah, very good. Uh, for instance, I I went to uh, Barnes and Noble every month for six years and bought the Writer's Magazine and Writer's Digest and basically taught myself the craft of writing and uh, along with my writer's group. So, uh, um, And I'm on Facebook, Mark C. Jackson. Find me on Facebook. I've got an author's page. I just uh, did a Twitter account for Zebediah Creed. So we'll see how Zeb does on that thing. Nice, cool. I like it. I like and, it. Uh, and I've got one. I again, I got a great publicist. Uh, you guys probably know her, Krista, out of uh, Minneapolis or somewhere up there. And uh, she says you got to write blogs. And so <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. And, um, it's good and all what your else? Time doing I'm on Instagram, <laughs> but but Facebook. I I post uh, most stuff on Facebook. Now that so. you're now that you're retired, do you find that writing comes to you naturally, or is it you have to treat it like a job and actually go and sit down at the desk or wherever and do a concentration? Schedule. Yeah, schedule. I have to do it that way. Yeah, yeah. I have to. You know, I'm usually out here. We we took a tough shed and finished it, and that's my office in the backyard. <laughs> And uh, I bet it's great so I have to hell. be out here by about nine and write to eleven, and then and then if I do a second session, you know, one or two to about about four or five. So at least that's what I'd like to think that I do. <laughs> uh, but uh, I want to tell you guys about about this cool thing. I am right working on a song. All right. Uh, I'm kind of getting, and this is a w- way back into some of the songwriting. Chris Sins is a is a good friend of mine. I know you guys know her. Oh yeah, we love her. Um, she uh, she was with the Monologues, and I'll do this quick. I know we only got a few minutes. Oh, her um, side is awesome. Yeah, she's uh, she's an amazing, you know, New York Times bestselling author. She's now president of the Western Writers of right. America, and so um, we we started kind of joking around about writing a song together and and we i said well tell me a tell me a story find a story about uh un, unrequited love <laughs> and, and because she had heart. written something and sent to me and then and she had recently been i think up in pierre north dakota and had met a woman named rosemary and she was she was one of two sisters named i think the taupe sisters that used to uh, do trick riding and trick roping with Casey Tibbs. One of you guys had mentioned Casey Tibbs. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I did. So we have written, I wrote the lyrics, and she has helped and, and collaborated with my other writing partners down here. And uh, we are, she's coming down to San Diego to actually do a recording session to sing and Recite because it's it's a it's a story song. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of it's spoken word. But it is the story of Rosemary and Casey Tibbs when, when they were young and on the circuit called A Cowgirl's Lament. Wow. <laughs> and uh, we did the music for it. The music's pretty much done. And we're just waiting for Chris to ske- schedule her trip down to do that. And she swears we're going to win the Spur Award with this one. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's cool. So I'm real excited vote, about that. Early, In fact, to work often. with Chris. And, yeah. Yeah, that is cool. And that you'd mentioned Casey Tibbs. And uh, another caveat to that story is my, my good friend David Morgan, who, who I co-write with and did all the music, co-wrote the music with, he was in a band here in the 80s. Well, Casey ended up in Ramona, California, right? Mm-hmm. Just just east of here and with a big ranch. And he used to go see David play at this at this bar that his buddy owned that David's band used to go play. And when I told, and and then he wanted to take them to Vegas. I'm going to take you guys to Vegas and make you stars and all that. You know, this is Casey Tibbs telling. So it's just ironic that we end up. When I told David that it was about Casey Tibbs, he goes, "Hmm, I knew Casey Tibbs back in you know back in the day." And I'm going, "Oh, you know, how could this be? But it is, you know." You say, how could this be? But it is. So. It's, it's a small world, man. A quick Casey Tibbs story. Quickly. Uh, when we did uh, Dirty Dingus McGee, uh, Casey was over working on the show, and he, he's good friends with Bert Kennedy, the director. And he comes up to Bert one day, and he says, Bert, he says, I've got this stunt chicken that I want you to put on. So Bert hired a stunt chicken uh, for Casey. <laughs> a stunt chicken. Yeah, well, think was he of, in the film? Well, think about this. Here comes the gang riding into town. There's always, a, you know, it's either chicken. a dog crossing the street yeah, or, a, or a bunch of chickens that get scattered. They're a chicken, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you got to have chicken. one chicken that waits to the very last moment to, to duck out of the way, maybe even get kicked a little bit. That's your stunt there chicken. You. That that one never gets eaten. <laughs> that's yeah, that's right. It's too valuable. He yeah. makes some money with that yeah, one. Oh, yeah. And if he doesn't work, you know, there's always uh, stunt chicken and dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> so he did get eaten after all, right? <laughs> and this is why I keep DeFrance around, man. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, uh, one, one more question quickly. for you. Okay. All right. Uh, do you ever get back to your little green books in the uh, garage? Uh, only when I clean it out, oh. which it hadn't been the last couple of years. Well, there's got to be so, some jewels in there, you know, some story ideas, some songs. There are, there are, and, and you know, all the all those early, early songs, old timers lullabies, yeah. you know, written in those books, and and uh, you know, one of these days I'll get out there. I, I'm uh, I'm not I'm not too lacking in ideas right now, but. Oh, no. But uh, yeah, it's nice to open up those boxes and 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 go through them and and see my early writing and and, just and, and basically to see how far I've come from those early days. I all think right. that's memories good. that go with them. We are out of time. Yeah, all the memories. Yeah, sitting on board ship, writing all that. All Mark, that. Mark, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It was great, pleasure, man. Pleasure. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, it was great talking to you three fellas and.
Yeah, we'll do it and, again. Uh, we'll do it more again. More fun than a sack full of squirrels. Yep, we'll do it again. Sounds good. I'll yeah, ring me up anytime. All right, I'm I'm available. That's <laughs> it for this edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I have no idea what we're doing next week. Oh well, next we could do uh, what's his name's birthday. Um, yep, we could. Jekyll. Richard, Richard Jekyll. We could do Richard Jekyll. We may do Richard Jekyll. In fact, we're going to do Richard Jekyll next okay, week. We're gonna do Richard that is Jekyll. it for this edition of Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Thanks for listening, Thank folks. You and 78, 79, 80. So long. Thanks for listening to Abel Franzi's Voices of the West.